Welcome back, Bankless Nation, to the DevCon 6 experience. In this interview, we're talking with Justin Drake. And Justin Drake gave the only talk at ETH Denver about ultrasound money, about ETH the asset. There was one talk about ETH the asset, which is like, you know, technically an infinity number percentage more talks than all previous DevCons about Ether the asset. So we're trending in a good direction. A lot has happened about ETH the asset since the last DevCon. And of course, Justin Drake has been the pioneer of the ETH ultrasound money narrative. I talked to him about the ultrasound.money website and effort that he's involved with. And overall, what are the next steps for Ether as an asset? What does 4844 do to Ether? How will Ether change coming into the future? And just the story of Ether and what he wants to do moving into the future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Justin Drake, Mr. Ultrasound Money himself. And we are back at DevCon 6 in Bogota, this time with Justin Drake, who I just learned gave a talk about ultrasound money in Spanish. How'd that go, Justin? <laughs> it went okay. People said that I was very, very concentrated. And indeed, I was uh, like a whole 25 minutes in Spanish. My Spanish is understandable, but full of mistakes. So, uh, yeah, I hope they understood me. But I think it was appreciated that I made the effort to, to speak in Spanish. Yeah, I would try to speak in Spanish, but it wouldn't go very far. Uh, <laughs> and so maybe next DevCon, next DevCon that's somewhere in South America. Justin, you had the only talk that was about Ether, the asset. Was it about ultrasound money? It was, yes. So basically the talk in Spanish was the prep talk. And then I did it in English two days later. Um, yeah, the only talk about Ether, the asset, despite, in my opinion, Ether, the asset being critical towards like the ultimate success of Ethereum. But was there any talk about Ether, the asset last DevCon? Because I feel like maybe it was zero last time and it's one this time. Oh, yeah. So it's like infinitely better. Yeah. <laughs> zero to one. And then the next step is one to 10 or something. So walking around this DevCon, talking to people, how are people receiving the ultrasound money meme? Like, how do people think about it? How are people talking to you about it? Very well. You know, I walk through DevCon and like people say, good talk, good talk. <laughs> so I think it's appreciated. Another really cool thing is that I've had, you know, thinkers and researchers and analysts and economists come to me and say, hey, I've been thinking about this as well. And I have some ideas and I have feedback on the content you've delivered. And so now I think we have this kind of this, this small group of maybe 10 to 12 people who are like seriously interested in analyzing this narrative and understanding its fundamentals. And why do you think this narrative is capturing the brains of these people? Because everyone wants to see Ethereum succeed. And in order to get there, we need to really, you know, make Ether succeed as well, because it's kind of somewhat counterintuitive, but as the price of Ether grows, that reflexively kind of increases the utility of Ethereum itself. And that's for two reasons. Reason number one is economic security. The more valuable ETH is, the more secure Ethereum is. And so therefore, app developers who want to see the applications live decades and centuries are more incentivized to go build on this protocol. That's basically the protocol sync thesis. Like as the price of ETH goes up, Ethereum becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. The other aspect is that we want to be building decentralized finance. And for that, we need so-called economic bandwidth. We need this asset that can be used as collateral. Now, of course, we can use real-world assets, but that comes with all sorts of complications in terms of counterparty risks, in terms of you know, contract risk, oracle risk, whatever it is. But there is this one pristine asset, Ether, which if we had it in very large quantities, would make Ether much, much more useful and valuable. 
And we are now officially in the era of ultrasound money. While the meme started sometime in 2021, we actually haven't gotten to Ether becoming true ultrasound money until we merged six weeks ago or so. Right. And now Ether is ultrasound. And we've seen this insane amount of supply reduction. I think if we were still in proof of work, we would have had 350,000 Ether issued, but instead we just have 7,000 Ether issued instead. So we are now in the era of ultrasound money. But I don't think that story ends here. There are other things that might influence or change the trajectory of the ultrasound money meme. There's 4844, which will impact the economics of Ether. What's left in the roadmap for Ether, the asset? Right. I think a big one is going to be scalability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the surge coming, this big wave of scalability. In my opinion, we're going to, over the next decade, go from 10 transactions a second to 10 million transactions per second. So that's going to do a couple things. Like one is that it's going to dramatically decrease the per transaction fee. That's pretty obvious. But there's this other maybe less obvious thing is that it's just going to create much more value. And there's this notion of, you know, induced demand. As you improve things, Ethereum will be providing more and more utility. And, and therefore, in aggregate, when you take all the transaction fees together, you know, if the historical trend continues, we'll be in a position where Ethereum is able to capture a lot of that value and therefore become more useful for that developers because that means more economic security and more economic bandwidth. And so the general idea is that scalability is a huge theme here. And I yes. think now that we're done with proof of stake in EIP 1559, it's scalability that is where we are focusing next. And yep. some people are saying like, oh, EIP 4844 is going to reduce a lot of the ETH burn. And perhaps that's probably true, at least in the short term, until that induced demand actually starts to manifest. And we find new use cases that are sub one cent transaction fees and people start transacting 10,000 times a day. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing to mention is that when EIP 4844 comes in, it's not like the fee market will instantly crash. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that there needs to be adoption. So just like rollups themselves needs to be adopted, mm -hmm. and you know, this is still like an ongoing story and is, you know, relatively slow, you know, rollups came into production, let's say a year ago, and still right now we don't have much adoption. It will be an additional kind of friction to move away from so-called cold data, which is what the resource which is being consumed today, to EIP 4844 because of various technical reasons. What will happen, though, is that once we move from proto-dank sharding to full-dank sharding, that is basically just increasing the amount of so-called blob data. And here, it might, it will actually lead to like an instant crash in the market. And then here, we'll have to wait for kind of a ramp up after that. But, you know, these are transitory things that will happen in the next few years. I like to think about the end games, I guess. And Justin, there's two ways to talk about ultrasound money. There's one at the technical layer, which is what we're doing. EIP 1559, proof of stake, 4844. That's like the technical ways that Ether changes as an asset. But there's also ultrasound money, the meme. Mm. Uh, how is the meme going? So technical, I think we're doing pretty well. We're shipping pretty hard. How is the meme doing? How would you rate the strength of the proliferation of the ultrasound money meme? Right. So there's different metrics that we can use to measure the proliferation of the meme. We can look at, for example, the number of Twitter accounts that have the bad signal propagating the meme. And there's actually something like 8,000 accounts now wow. That, wow. <laughs> that have the bad signal. A bunch of them are spam, something like two to 3,000, but there's still like this core group of 5,000 that are not spam. There's also kind of metrics from the website, mm -hmm. right? So I'm helping out with the website and so I get access the to- The ultrasound.money website. That's yeah. correct, yes. And before the merge, we were doing about 3,000 unique visitors a day. 
After the merge, we were doing something like 10,000 unique visitors per day. And now we're doing something like 20 to 30,000 unique wow. visitors. Because people wow. want to see the Ether supply go down. And this is exciting. And also, there's going to be so much more content on this website coming up. And by the way, a small plug, if you're a front-end developer, there is a position available. Amazing. Yeah. And that website is just becoming more and more and more useful. It's a great service just to understand the metrics around Ether, the asset. And that's always one of the things I've really enjoyed about Ether and Ethereum, and especially the monetary policy of Ether, is that there's more numbers to look at. Yes. Like Bitcoin is 21 million. That's the, like, the only number. Maybe we talk about like the difficulty adjustment. That's like the only two numbers for Bitcoin. For Ether, there is the burn per block. There's the burn rate, the issuance rate. There's so many more metrics to look at. And Ultrasound Money is doing a great job of just like displaying all of this. How much work do you think is left to do on this Ultrasound Money website? Where is it now versus where you want it to be in the future? Right. So let me tell you about the vision for this website. The idea is to be like the one-stop shop for Ether, the asset. And you know, really try and digest everything for a mainstream audience. In terms of what's next to be built, there's a lot around like the whole search story, mm -hmm. right? So there's, for example, looking at the burn per rollup, but also diving into each rollup and understanding where the burn comes from, but also looking at things like total value secured, because Ether, the asset, can be programmed to be like this very hot money, mm -hmm. you know, in the context of transfers and transactions, but it can also be used as cold money collateral. And I think total value secured is something that's not really appreciated today because, you know, it's only 5 million out of 120 million. So it's pretty negligible. But I think what will happen over the next 10 years is that 80% of all ETH will be used as collateral, either in staking or in DeFi. And that's going to have huge consequences in terms of velocity of money and things like you know, monetary premium. So how much more do you think there is to unearth about Ether, the asset? Do we kind of know most that we will know about Ether, the asset? Or is there still a lot of story to be told here? Um, I think two years ago, I knew almost nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think this is uh, typical for technical people, like with technology, technology, technology. And um, I've learned so much over the last few years, and I still keep on learning. And also, like, as I mentioned, there's people who approach me and there's some people who just disagree with me. Mm. And so that's going to lead to debate and, and refinement and new hypotheses put forward. But one of the fun things is that, you know, this is low hanging fruit. We're doing something that's never been done in the history of money. Right. It's extremely exciting. It has a lot of potential. And here we are at the frontier discovering it. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that word. <laughs> the frontier. We're on the frontier. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. There, there's so much, so much left in this story to be told. One of the critiques about Ether, the ultrasound money narrative, is it's deflationary. And deflation is yes, bad. It's yes. going to spiral out of control. Yes. It's going to make Ethereum too expensive to use, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Is this a misconception? Is this critique valid? How do you think about the deflation critique of Ether? Right. Um, so I think deflation is bad is a valid criticism for some types of monies, but not for Ether, the asset specifically. And the reason is that I distinguish two types of assets. I distinguish debt money and collateral money. Now, why is it good for debt money to be inflationary? Can we define debt money real quick? Yeah, the idea of debt money is that you put forward a collateral and you take out debt from this collateral. So the simplest example is maybe a house. You have a house, you take a mortgage, you take out debt. And it's good that this debt is denominated in US dollars, for example. And one of the reasons is that it's inflationary. And so over time, it becomes easier and easier to pay the debt. And so you're actually unlikely to default on your debt. And 
you know, the reason why the house is kind of a good collateral is because house prices are up only. So that's the reason why banks are just so comfortable at giving you a mortgage because houses are optimized as collateral and then US dollars are optimized as debt. And it's the same thing with Ether. You have Ethers are optimized as a collateral asset against which you're going to take debt, which is going to be a stable coin like DAI or RAI or LUSD. And in my opinion, because you're on the other side of the coin, you actually want your collateral asset to be deflationary. You want it to grow in value over time because it means that you're less likely to get liquidated mm -hmm. and therefore lead to these like large systemic risks where, you know, potentially like you have mass defaults and things collapse. Okay, so there's two types of money, and that's the only two types of money? There's collateral money and debt money? Is that a fair take? Yeah, that's one way to classify the two sides of the coin. Right, yeah. And so you're saying that you want the collateral money to go up in price, and you want the debt money to go down in price. Yes. And that probably produces a more stable financial system over the yeah. long term. You probably don't want it to be too inflationary or too deflationary. Yeah. You want it to not be too volatile. But yeah. where the collateral grows up in value and the debt goes down in value over the long term, you're saying is a good financial system. Yeah, for robustness. For robustness, yeah. And I always thought it was another take about the deflationary aspect of Ether is that, well, there's so many other currencies on Ethereum yeah. that you get to kind of pick and choose your monetary policy. And I think what you were saying is actually a more evolved version of this narrative. But my idea was that there's the Rye monetary policy, the DAI monetary policy, the Ether monetary policy. And since all of these things have tons of liquidity with each other on Ethereum, it doesn't matter if Ether is super deflationary because you have like alternatives, right? And it's not like, it, while it is setting like the core foundation of all of Ethereum, it's not like, like the DAI economy is actually somewhat distinct from the Ether economy. Yeah, exactly. Like if your use case is like hot money, meaning high velocity money, then you can move in and out really quickly <laughs> of various currencies. But in terms of you know, use cases of money as currency, by the way, currency comes from the word current. It means money that flows. I think ETH is going to play a large role for a couple of reasons. Like one is if you think of a DeFi money blocks, Right. They're going to compose through this money API. Mm -hmm. And if these money blocks want to live for decades and centuries, they're going to want to choose like the most pristine APIs mm -hmm. and most robust ones. And so I think Ether is going to play a large role. And we're already seeing that, for example, on Uniswap, 95% of the non-like-to-like -like trading volume is ETH. And also a very similar story on OpenSea, like a lot of the NFT trading is in ETH. But even for those use cases that don't want ETH because it's too volatile, I think what we want as a community is to use stabilized ETH. Mm. So we could use a stable coin like USDC or USDT, but you know, that comes with all sorts of problems. And my hope, at least, is that these you know, custodial-based, centralized stable coins are you know, a temporary thing, and that in 10 years' time, they'll be a thing of the past. So historically, in the developer circles of Ethereum, it's always been a focus on Ethereum, the network, not Ether, the money. Yes. And you've been the developer leading the charge. It's like, hey, no, also Ether too. How has that been resonating with the other developers in the Ethereum circles? Yeah, like there's been this gradual warming up. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be the exception, but now like more and more people, you know, appreciate it. And I think it's a journey again that like technical people kind of go through. And I think... You know, as a researcher, you know, I spend a lot of time really deep in the technology. But now that I have a bit more free time because the research problems have been solved, I can kind of go at different layers of the stack. And I think this might happen with other people as well. And I think there's also kind of this aspect of uh, taboo associated with it, which I think is like slowly dissolving. 
you know, partly because, you know, maybe of regulation as well. Like there was like uncertainty around whether, you know, EFA is a security. I think at this point in time, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, I think we can move on and start talking about it more freely. Certainly. So, Justin, you are the ultrasound money guy, the guy that thinks a lot about Ether and monetary policy. But what else about Ethereum outside of Ether has captured your attention, especially some of the conversations here at DEF CON? Outside of Ether, what is in your brain? Yeah, so I'm like really fascinated by ZKVMs. Mm. Like there's a nerd dream because it encompasses so much technology in like this one black box. And, you know, I've just been amazed at how much progress there's been. There's still a lot of work to do. And, you know, often like the ZK rollups will kind of hype themselves a little bit too much. You know, one of the things I'm worried, for example, is bugs, right? We have these extremely complicated circuits and one critical bug is enough to break the ZK rollup. And we're talking potentially a billion dollar plus hack. And now, We've seen empirically that we can't even get bridges correctly. Like every every week there's a hundred million dollar bridge hack. And so I am worried about the security of ZK rollups. And you know, this is an opportunity, right? For people who are security experts, who are formal verification experts, whatever fuzzers, whatever it is, please join us. We need you to solve this problem. How do we solve this problem? Or is that just a research task? I think it's more of an engineering task. Like you want to build systems that are modular so that we can kind of analyze like chunk by chunk mm -hmm. and you know if this bit is secure and this bit is secure then you know we want these composability guarantees that the whole thing is also secure and one of the good things about breaking it down in chunks is that you know we can put out like the best tools that we have so you know we have just audit using like uh, using your eyes we have fuzzing which is this idea of, like throwing all sorts of random junk at it and seeing where it breaks and then we have like the extreme end of the spectrum, which is called formal verification, where you basically write a mathematical proof written by a computer that this thing is exactly equivalent to the spec that it's meant to match. Amazing. Yeah, the excitement around the ZK EVMs are definitely palpable, especially when like at ECC, the theme was the ZK EVMs are here. Now here at DevCon, all the test nets are coming online and yes. ZK Sync has their layer threes. Are you optimistic that we'll be able to smoothly solve the bridge issue and the bug issue perhaps faster than what we've seen in 2021? Right. So one of the things that I think will happen is that these rollups won't go like fully decentralized and permissionless from day one. There will be this gradual ramp up. And one of the things that I think is a good idea is basically this maybe one hour like safety buffer. So, you know, one of the big selling points of ZK rollups is that you get this instant finality. But I think it's actually okay that in the early days, finality takes a whole hour. Mm -hmm. And the idea of delaying by an hour is that if an attacker basically forges a proof for an invalid route, which kind of empties the whole thing, we have this one hour to kind of press the big red pause button right. and fix everything. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that. With ZK rollups, of course, they're all super hyped, but it's also some of the most new technology that we have in this space, which yes. is always a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Justin, do you have any plans for Bogota for the rest of your time here? So there's like a couple kind of offsites, mm -hmm. one for the whole of the EF, one for the research team. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to kind of getting out. I've been, you know, primarily like a hotel in here and they're five minutes from each other. Spend so much time meeting people. The energy is like so high and, you know, it's been very productive. So Do conferences drain you? Um, they energize me and they drain me at the same time. Like yeah. it's like adrenaline and then, you know, I'm happy to go back home so that I can kind of see my family and rest. Well, Justin, it's uh, been fantastic hanging out with you here in Bogota and thank yeah. you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>